0: Okay. Well, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for speaking to us and for using us, uh, jars of clay as we are, and yet use us for within us you have planted a treasure, the gospel message. And so, Lord, wherever we are in this world, whatever happens to be our missionary field, whether it be home, office, or even uh, the basketball court, we pray that you would use us uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Okay. Colton, Austin, you are with us. You are the operations coordinator for the University of Alabama basketball team, the men's yep. team. Right. I want to differentiate that. And, uh, and so tell us a little bit about how you got where you are, because uh, you really did you really see yourself being on the coaching management side of basketball in the midst of college? Tell us your story.
1: Sure. Well, if I'll start with this, if you'll let me. Uh, just thanks for letting me be here. You know, I'm from Birmingham. I didn't grow up at the Advent. But it's a, a pretty special place for me. And um, maybe we can touch on some of the ways that I have a lot of connections and memories here. But i um, really thrilled to be here. And I told Gil Cracky earlier that you guys must really be hurting for speakers. For <laughs> Andrew asked me to come here, I don't really know what I have to say. But um, to answer your question, I, uh, in college, probably no. Now, I'm one of these people that um, I always tell the story. I have a big sister, Jenny Sabera. She lives here. Some of you may know her. She's a doctor. When she was in seventh grade, she told my parents, I want to be a doctor, and never wavered off that a day for the rest of her life. And today, she's a doctor. And I was not like that. I didn't really know what I wanted to do until a few years out of college. So, But my story, the short version, would be that I, um, in college, realized that I enjoyed teaching um, And that takes a lot of different forms. Uh, But my first job out of college was at a school where I taught and coached some basketball up in North Carolina. But I realized after a couple years that probably wasn't what I wanted to do long term. So um, this is where I tell people my story really gets weird. I left Christ School up in North Carolina and went to Beeson Divinity School Uh here in Sanford. And um, worked uh, at a church, St. Peter's, here in town full time as a youth pastor. And stayed on part time for another year after that. And I um, was really trying to see if ministry was <clears throat> my calling. And, you know, I realized the answer to that was no, not, not full time. But the coaching thing I kept coming back to is that's what I really missed from, from when I worked at the school. And I kind of caught the coaching bug, as I guess you would say, and God's way of letting me know that that was his calling. So, um, So in 2010, when I finished at Beeson, I sort of made a goal of trying to get into college basketball. And... Um, the Lord was completely at work. There were a lot of factors that led to me ending up, ending up at Alabama, my first year with coach Grant. And, uh, I volunteered that first year just to get my foot in the door and then I just stayed on and slowly over time have, uh, managed to be, you know, the operations coordinator and, um, stayed on through the coaching chains, praise the Lord. So we didn't have to move this past year. And so that's why I am now.
0: So when you, you graduate from Beeson with a master's in divinity, and when you put your resume in front of a head coach, um, do they immediately say, whoa. I mean, sort of like, you know, <laughs> how, you know, how, it, it, was this the most practical thing? And, of course, it is very practical. But, um, but what has been the response of, like, in the, you know, yeah. when you put your resume in front of coaches? I've
1: been fortunate in that the two guys I've worked for have both looked at it and said, that's great, you know, because they're, they're believers and... In- mm-hmm. You know, they, they may say, so you spent three years doing that, like, full time? It's so, like, yeah, three three years. Um, but, um, but on the whole, they, I think they see it as a good thing. And, um, you know, I, one thing I tell Megan a lot is there's a temptation for me, and I don't know if this is true of anyone else, but there's a temptation for me when I'm in settings where, that aren't Christian settings like this one. You can, it's sort of easy or, or tempting to sort of not bring that part up. You know, because if you say you're a Christian and the other person's not, now that brings us, there's an elephant in the room, you've got to talk about it and deal with it, but when it's on your resume that you have a MDiv.
0: I am a Christian. Yes.
1: Yeah, there's right. no not that, that
0: an MDiv qualifies that. No, but, uh, exactly,
1: exactly. So there, there's no escaping that, and right. it becomes front-center, and, and, you know, people know that.
0: Right. And so, I mean, the, one of the funny things I've noticed about, like, basketball this year, uh, give us an SEC preview. Just kidding. Uh, but... Um, What um, I've noticed this year, especially in the postseason in the NBA, there's been a ton of talk about faith. And I mean, I remember even in one interview, I forgot who it was, uh, said something about like even a revival in the locker room. I mean, are guys pretty open about their faith or or what is, you know, when you're playing a college sport or a professional sport, I mean, you're with them all the time. Mm -hmm. You're with them all Mm -hmm. the time. And so what does ministry and fellowship look like? with a college basketball team?
1: That's a great question. Um, Guys are open about their faiths, but, you know, sports to me, and and college basketball being the particular sport here, it's really just a microcosm of of the world at large. You know, there's some people who are seeking. There's some people who are committed believers. There's some people who aren't believers, and we'll tell you why they're not. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and all other variations in between. Um, You know, we've been really fortunate at Alabama you know i'm not the chaplain of the basketball team mm-hmm. we have a really really excellent chaplain there who um who's a great friend of mine and he ministers to these guys and then he and i talk all the time he's a great friend and you know, i see my role more as trying to support him you know whether it's you know informally like having a conversation with a, a player here or a coach because um, like like i said earlier they know they know my background they know i'm a christian so um but you know, it's relational. It's like any other type of ministry. It's it's relationships between the chaplain and the staff, between the staff and the players, between the players and each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd say within our team, we have a couple of guys who are committed Christians mm-hmm. who are you know, being discipled by our chaplain and being encouraged to share their faith. And mm-hmm. other guys who are <clears throat> new believers or seeking. And um, you know, one cool thing about college basketball is you get so much turnover in your squad every year. So, you know, your seniors graduate or your guys transfer, and it's a big issue with us, uh, in every college basketball program, really. So you have – really, we had six guys leave the program this year. It's so half the hmm. team. And all these new guys come in. So the dynamic really changes every year. But the positive to that is as a coach or a chaplain or maybe as, as a player even, there's new relationships that form and new chances to, mm-hmm. you know, impact those lives.
0: Yeah. it You know, one of the things that I notice is that, you know, for um, – I anyway, know there's something about athletes, especially stellar athletes that are playing <coughs> Division One or playing in professional sports, that they have a platform for the gospel that most of us don't have. And so I can remember hearing Oral. This, you know, I'm, I'm not that old, but this will date me a little bit. I remember hearing Oral Hirschheiser give mm-hmm. his testimony, mm-hmm. and I was just like, I want to be. Him, yeah, right? I don't wanna, right. You know, it was sort of like, and you know, if I listened to it now, I'd probably say, "Yeah, that's not that good to talk." But in the moment, right. because it was Oral Hershiser, right. it was a big deal. And so, do, do, I mean, is that, I mean, does that ever play into things at, at, at the University of Alabama, where um, do, do players take advantage of things like Fellowship of Christian Athletes? Do they, um, do they get out there and, and share their testimonies?
1: Sure. Yeah, um, one one player in particular comes to mind. And if you guys follow Alabama basketball, and I'm sure many of you don't, but you'll know um, one of our players, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Reten Obasahan, who's from Belgium, who will be a senior this year. He's very much um, – he's very confident and very out there with his faith, hmm. you know, whether it's on social media or, like, he, he's been – he talks to groups. He talks to high school groups. He's, um, he's not only active with FCA, but he'll speak to FCA groups um, about, you know, his faith yeah right and I think Redden has a um, you know and just be honest because you know I think it's more helpful when we just we're honest about you know uh, you know our fears and our our qualms and all this one of the things that makes me uncomfortable sometimes when you kind of mix religion or Christianity with sports is that talking about Oral Hershiser now I I don't remember the, the talk he gave but I'm guessing you heard him speak after he probably did something really good yeah, they, it probably they, wasn't after his World Series. It was after the World
0: War. Series when right. they played against yeah. Oakland. So
1: every time, and tell me if you guys have heard something different, but to me it seems like every time you hear a professional athlete or a college athlete talk and thank God or proclaim his faith, is after something really good has happened for him or her. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think the unintended consequence of that sometimes can be a connection that the person who's hearing that makes between faith and all these good things happening to you. Yeah. And that God is still good, and God is still Lord, even when we lose or we are injured, things like that. So with Retten, I think Retten's really good because he gets that, and he's had struggles in his career. You know, we haven't been to a Final Four during his career, or you know, he hasn't been SEC Player of the Year or anything like that. But he's still able to stand up there and proclaim this faith. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. I mean, you, you hear after a big victory, players saying. I just no. want to give credit to Jesus Christ for this victory. <laughs> right. You never hear anybody say, "I exactly. just want to blame God for our loss today." Right. Exactly. Um,
1: right. Uh, but no if God is if we got a sovereign, then He was sovereign over the victory as well as the defeat.
0: Yeah. Do you think? I mean, is that one of the struggles? Because uh, I mean, there, there's very little grace in sports. Uh, I mean, it, it's all law. Yep. And yep. Uh, and it, it's performance. Yes. Based yes. and uh, and how good you are is marked by your record, by your stats. And um, d- does that, I mean, so does that put a particular pressure on athletes that I mean, we experience in our own lives, but in a very real and tangible way for them?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Grace is all law. I mean, grace is all law. <laughs> <laughs> I was, if I didn't catch myself, one of you should have called me out on they, that right there. They would. But, they know, would. Sports, they sports would. is all law. And, um, and the other thing you said, there's, there's, there's very little grace there. Absolutely true. And, yeah, you know, on one hand, I do think it's very prevalent in sports. On the other hand, I think that that's the way the world is. I don't know that sports is necessarily unique when it comes to being performance-driven and, you know, achievement-driven. But I certainly think it's a challenge within the culture of sports. Excuse me. Uh, A challenge within the culture of sports to talk about grace and defeat and, you know, God's sovereignty over loss and, and things like that. But I think there's a huge void, you know, and something that needs to be talked about.
0: Yeah, how do, you, how do you speak into that? For instance, I mean, here in Alabama, I mean, let's just be honest. Jesus and football go hand in hand. Right. I mean, probably the most intense, intense and emotional worship experience I've ever been to was at Bryant-Denny Stadium. <laughs> um, and it, it was just a really, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll move you to tears. And so, uh, you know, you're not out there on the field or you're not out there on the court, but... When the team loses, you feel like you have lost. So right. the, I'll, I've never, I, I've, I've done some really sad funerals, uh, but I have never experienced darkness <laughs> at the level of the Sunday morning after the Alabama LSU game when they lost in the regular season and ended did up you hear Did fun- you hear that? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Drone out there? <laughs> I mean, it's there's one man I'm looking that. at in particular. who was especially, uh, <laughs> I remember the look on his face, but and it was very funny. And they actually, uh, you know, some people didn't get back to like three, four o'clock in the morning because the traffic was so bad and Cajuns can't drive. And, uh, <laughs> and so, but they, 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 they showed up for church because they were really looking uh, for a word of hope. They were looking for a word of <laughs> that it's, I mean, I, because ever, didn't you think? It's over. It's over for us. And it wasn't. <laughs> right. It wasn't. Which may have been the worst thing that ever happened because right. it gives you a false sense of hope. But, but I mean, it is the emotional entanglement of, of sports with the individual, of finding your identity, whether you're on the court or on the field or not, finding your identity in sports. You know, what do you say to the player who, who's really struggling and make it cut from the team or mm-hmm. to the fan who is just ready to give up on y'all and, uh, and really does wonder, where's God. Uh, in in all of this,
1: well, I think you have to distinguish between the fan and the player because for the fan, there's a projection that's going on, and I'm guilty of it. I'm not talking about oh, you guys who are fan. I'm a huge fan. Where's Cameron Cole? He's back. He 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 can be a witness to my how hardcore of a fan I am for c- certain teams. Um, but there's a projection that's going on where we tie our own whatever status and self-esteem fill in the blank with how that team performs. And yeah, I've been there. The highs, you, you feel like you've won when the team wins, and you feel like you've lost when the team lost. But I think you have to distinguish that from, from the player, So from the player who's actually winning and losing, mm-hmm. not just feeling like they have. And um, there can be a great deal of, of failure, right? There can be a great deal of, of personal triumph. And I think in both cases, there's a place for the gospel to come in and address both of those situations.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, yeah, I guess the how do you get perspective and, and having sports be in its rightful place, not just emotionally, but I don't know if this has happened to you, but you being in the position you're in, if a parent comes up to you and says, oh, Colton, I want you to meet my son, who happens to be nine years old mm-hmm. and is uh, you know doing this intense basketball camp. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the guy there said that they have real promise. This really intense pressure on, on kids... Uh, to, uh, you know, even at a young age, to make them believe, like, you too can be, everybody can be a D1 athlete, yeah. basically.
1: You're asking the hard questions, Andrew. Yeah. Um, you touch on something that's really important, which is the, the role of the parent. Because, you know, when, when the, the players in our program are, you know, some of the ones we are recruiting are 15, 16 years old, and then they get in your program and they're 18, and they leave by the time they're 22. So you're dealing with young people almost every time the parents are are really involved in the process and very often what you speak of is the case where the parent is somehow living vicariously or trying to attain some level of achievement through their child's achievement and sometimes you have to kind of work against that you know you don't want to come between the parent and the child but um, you know it's a cliche but what you hope happens when these young men are in your program is that they, they take some steps towards becoming men they can maybe come in as children and leave as men, or at least you hope that's what happens, and part of that process is developing their own identity, their own sense of who they are and what they believe, and um, you you never, like I said, want to step in and come between them and their parents, but I think you do have to try to help them get a better perspective, and one good thing about sports, and it doesn't matter where you coach, you're going to lose, you have, as a coach, you have to be able to deal with, with loss and know how to talk to your players about loss. And it's not just losing games, but injuries. I mean, we have every year one or two players suffers an injury, they're out for the year. How do you address that? You know, when that's what your identity is wrapped up in. Um, those are all that kind of opportunities I was talking about earlier where someone who's a Christian, whether it's your chaplain or a coach or another player on the team, can come in and speak truth, speak the gospel into that situation.
0: Mm-hmm. It, you know, you mentioned players coming in as children and hoping that they leave as, as mature adults, mm-hmm, as men. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the case. Uh, I mean, I think that's a big dilemma right now for college in general, um, just whether or not the university is the arena in which that can happen in a healthful way. Mm-hmm. But is it harder for athletes because they are sequestered? They, you know, they they really don't experience college life on the same level as your average student going in. They you know, they're, they're around the players all the time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the parents are traveling with them often, um, things like that. Is it is it harder to get them to grow up because really they have so many decisions being made for them as as athletes, when they study, when they eat, when they yeah. travel, those types of things.
1: Um, some of the things you said are true because we do have a very you know, uh, detailed and regimented schedule for them, but there's still ample opportunity for them to grow up. Right. I mean being away from home for the first time, even if you're told when your study halls are and when your meals are. Um, it's still a huge change from what they're used to. So, yeah, some of those things are true, but there's still a great opportunity for them to become, you know, men, adults, however you want to put it. Definitely.
0: Does it ever feel like that you'll encounter players and don't name names, uh, but encounter players who who are really using the team as a means to an end, just a stepping stone to get. To the next level?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think every team deals with that, especially the, the higher the level. You know, if you're a really good team with really good players, you're going to experience that more than maybe a small college team would. Um, and every every coach, you know, in the SEC or in the ACC, every coach of a, of a major college team has to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. Because the, the truth is you're not going to be as successful as you want to be as a coach. Because as a coach, you want to see your players go on and play in the NBA and be successful after college. But you know your primary goal there is to try to have a good team at the college level and um, you have to, have to deal with that problem. You have to get them to buy in and you know, put team first or convince them that the team's best interest is also their best interest. There are a million ways to go about that problem but you know, absolutely. Yeah,
0: How does amazing. the University of Alabama men's team do that? I mean because I mean there's got to be pressure on some of the players to yep. you know you could make a whole lot of money if you just dropped out of school and and went into the
1: draft. Right. Well we need some more guys like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, what's, what's, what's worse than having some guys like that is having some guys who think that that's them when it's not. Um, you, I, you, you have to convince them, and hopefully you believe it's true, and I think it is true, but you have to convince them that the best way for them to be successful on a personal level is to help the team be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, to point out to them that very few guys get drafted off of losing teams, and teams that don't make the tournament, mm-hmm. and that, you know, when we, when, when we as a team succeed, we all as individuals succeed as well.
0: Mm-hmm. With, uh, I mean, one of the, the thing that, that I'm wondering about with coaching is, mm-hmm. you know, how, do the guys have, let me phrase it a different way, do they have perspective on how blessed they are and where they've landed, even if, they're not playing for a team that's winning the SEC championship. They're still playing basketball for the University of Alabama, which mm-hmm. is a huge, huge accomplishment. And are they, you know, do you find that they have a, 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 an inflated view of who they are? They think they're a lot better than they really are? Or do you find uh, that there's actually an element of humility there?
1: It really is a case by case. Uh, it really depends on, on the individual. Um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, being a player for the University of Alabama men's basketball team. Many of us look on that as, like you said, you know, a very rare accomplishment, a very enviable position. But in a lot of ways that's not dissimilar from the position that many people in this room, and maybe not everybody, but many of us are in with where we live and the, you know the, the type of lifestyle we have in our place in the world. It's a very enviable position and so I think that um, for us, just like for them, there, there are opportunities to sort of have that perspective, mm-hmm. and opportunities whether it's through coming in contact with campers, or going and doing community service, or just a moment where you realize, mm-hmm. oh man, I'm I'm blessed. Yeah, you know, I have a, I, I'm in a special place right now. But then a lot of times it's, it's like with mm-hmm. us, it's your it's your life. I mean, when you come in as a freshman, you're in awe of you know. I'm playing in front of 15,000 people and I'm on TV and I get all this cool Nike gear that I get to wear around campus and everyone knows who I am. But after a while, that wears off. Just like with any worldly pleasure, you know, it just becomes rote and ho-hum and, and you start thinking that it's normal. Yeah. And then you look to the NBA and say, but if I could get there, right. now now I would be satisfied. You know, which of course we know isn't, isn't the case. Right. But that's sort of the, the cycle that they go through.
0: It, did, uh, I mean, it might be hard for you to com- compare this, but... I mean, a, guy, a lot of the guys that are coming up now and playing uh, college sports and professional sports grew up never really losing. I mean, I'm amazed. My daughters, when they play in any sports thing, mm-hmm. at the end of the season, everybody gets the same trophy. And they come <laughs> up and like, we won. I said, no, you didn't. You lost every game. Uh, and uh, so, like, I mean, they haven't learned to lose. They haven't, yeah. they haven't learned to lose. And so there's this, this sense of... Um, I mean, it is, and I mean, we don't help it in our family. I mean, I've said it before, our family motto is win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. And and, uh, so it's, I mean, but so sports on the one hand can be this wonderful um, incubator for failure uh, that is healthy of of learning how to deal with, and of course, it's trivial when you lose the t-ball game or it's trivial when you lose, you know, the other day I was uh, playing golf and I heard, a swim meet going on, and I heard the, the guy say, next up, the under six backstroke. And I almost fell out laughing. Can you imagine children <laughs> under six doing the backstroke? Uh, and I found out that everyone got DQ'd. Uh, no one could stay in their lane, and everyone's touching bottom. And, uh, and yet they're all going to get, yeah, right, yeah. get a medal or a ribbon. Yeah, uh, they're all going to get a medal or a ribbon. But, you know, I mean, is there, have you ever been at a place in a game and you're just, and you think, maybe it would be really good for us to lose this one? No. Good. <laughs> well
1: tie. It's, it's sort of like, but but I will say, um, <laughs> you, failure and loss will happen. Right. You try to win every game, and that's why you're in it. You're competitive, but you know you, there's no, there hasn't been an undefeated team in college basketball in, in 40 years. So you're going to lose. So you don't have to seek out opportunities to say maybe we should lose this one. I, it's going to happen, and uh, every time it happens, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And You know, I hear what you're saying about the under-six backstroke, but once upon a time, a few years ago, I coached a fourth-grade team, and then I followed them the next year and coached them as fifth-graders. What I would always tell people is, to you or to me, it's nine-year-olds playing basketball. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But in the grand scheme of things, a bunch of 20-year-olds playing basketball doesn't really matter either. Mm -hmm. But to those nine-year-olds who are playing, and I see parents out here nodding because they know what I'm about to say, that's the most important thing to them. I mean, it hurts just as much for... Those kids to lose as it does for our guys to lose to right. Auburn, which we haven't in a while. But right. to lose to <laughs> Auburn, um, it hurts. It hurts when you lose a game, right. and um, there are opportunities. You, you put it really well, Andrew, in sports to, to teach about loss and uh, disappointment. And I'll give credit to, you know, my former boss, Coach Coach Grant, who was the one who first hired me in Alabama. He was a really really good about talking to our players in those situations, you know, and you know. Not deflecting or uh, uh, avoiding the subject, but talking about loss and h- how do you deal with disappointment. Mm-hmm. Because really, if you, if you think of sports as a way to teach life lessons, which that's one of the ways in which sports can be a useful tool, then one of those lessons you have to address is how to deal with loss. Right. Because we're all going to deal with it. Mm-hmm.
0: Where, where's the worst place to play away? <laughs> Uh, Just the The fine worst, like
1: the toughest atmosphere. Toughest or atmosphere. The worst hotel. Toughest or?
0: atmosphere. Okay. Toughest atmosphere.
1: Um, it's a good question. In the SEC, for us, it is Auburn. Mm-hmm. I don't think every team would say that, but when we go there, it's, it's like a feeding frenzy. You know, the students are on top of you, it's always sold out, and they want blood.
0: They mm-hmm. want blood. You worry that
1: they're about to come out on the court and, right. and, and take care of the business on their own. Yeah. So, um, but Florida is always tough. Um, Kentucky is huge and loud, so it's intimidating on that level, and they're, they're usually pretty good. Um, <laughs> so I, w- I would say those three stand out.
0: Yeah, what, tell me about, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you say you can hear the students on you. And, I mean, how much does that actually get to players and, and to coaches when, oh, when to you them. can hear that one person you know oh, it
1: gets to them it's uh, you know it's interesting we I hear a lot and I read a lot and so do you guys probably about how social media how people when they're sitting behind a keyboard or on their Twitter on their phone will say things they wouldn't normally say to somebody's face right we all know that to be true it's sort of the worst of us comes out when we think we're anonymous and the other place where I see that happening is at a sporting event mm-hmm. you know um, and I've been, like I said before, a fan my whole life, so I've been on the side of it where I'm yelling. And, of course, when you're usually, the seats I'm usually sitting in at a football game, they can't hear me on the field. But basketball is unique in that there are a number of seats close enough to the court where you can hear what they're saying. And some of the stuff these people say is, is unbelievable. you know. And it really, uh, it really gives you an insight into the, the dark side of, of humanity. <laughs> sometimes when you hear what's being said. And is it
0: sometimes not even directed toward you, but like, I mean, when an let's say an I mean, does, do Alabama fans yell at y'all and say, you know, you're the worst coaches on the face of the earth? You no, know?
1: I mean, not, no, not really. No, yeah. it's I mean, always
0: it's almost they're, always they're the saying person. that
1: they're not yelling it towards us, right. but they're yeah. probably yeah. saying it yeah. when they leave the building. Mm-hmm. But no, more more the opponents. Yeah.
0: What do you think it is about sports that that allow that basically, you know, I going to sporting events, I, I'm often convicted that. Gosh, this is more engaging, and poor people are more focused on this and caught up in it than even worship. And, um, and so it is Accurate. a sort of worship, but yeah, you know, I, I went to um, the Old Miss LSU game several years ago, and we were walking uh, back to the car in Baton Rouge, and there was this very cute mom, and she had two little kids that looked either twins or close enough in age, and they were saying, come on, mom, and she said, honey, just stay right there. And she was keying an old miss car. Uh, and I just thought, uh, I thought that was crazy until I moved to Alabama. And, uh, yeah, right. Uh, but what is it about sports that.
1: I, I don't know what it is exactly, but I would say that sports, <laughs> it's, I'll say this euphemistically sports offer us an opportunity to reveal our true nature. <laughs> you know, we're sinful people, and we, you know. Um, you know we're sinful people. I don't know any other way to put it. And for some reason, somehow, sports can bring that out in some of us uh, in a very obvious way. Yeah, there's such
0: an irony because y- you see sports as something that you know where you can kind of prove your manhood, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can put mm-hmm. it out there, and yet it's incredibly vulnerable, right? I mean, you're actu- I mean you're 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 performing in front of all these people, and and you're going to make mistakes. You're going to, and sometimes you're just going to outright uh, blow, blow it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it really is uh, amazing uh, how caught up we can all get in sports, and it it can ruin our week. It can it can ruin. Our, I mean, just listen to Paul Feinbaum, right? Yep. I mean uh, yeah, I mean people people will go so far as to destroy trees, yes. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. And uh, and and never say I'm sorry. Um, it, it's it's a really remarkable thing, and I'm I'm so glad <laughs> that there are guys like you uh, in, in in that world. Any questions? You want to talk? I figured. Here we go. I oh,
1: was two hands shot up right yeah. away. Are you involved in recruiting? Yes. Yes. How How does your faith assist you in that? Um. That's a hard question. Um, I mean, from a uh, in my position, I don't go off campus to recruit. Um, because that's only for our assistant coaches and our head coach, um, and I don't call recruits on the phone, but. I set up their visits. I interact with them when they're here, things like that. Um, so I don't wouldn't say that I have temptation to break the rules if that's what you're referring to or anything like that. Just because my, my position doesn't really do those kinds of things. But um, you know, I guess I see recruiting as you're just trying to 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 sell the school. And and if my faith comes into it, it's probably just in the sense that um, you know you might get caught up on one particular recruit. And we have to have this guy. We really need this guy, but you know, ultimately it's not all up to you. There's a, there's a lot of trust that, you know, when that decision is made, maybe they'll come to Alabama. You don't have total control over it. So you do have to have faith that the right guys are going to come and that the guys who show up are, are the ones who are supposed to be there. I don't know if that's a great answer, but it's the best I can do. Um, I know we talked earlier about, you know, how privileged people are to play Division One basketball. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about when you're trying to minister or reach out to guys, as any of us who follow sports know, so many of them come from – deeply impoverished situations, uh-huh. broken homes, dysfunctional families. And is there ever an opportunity to, well, I guess, what is that like to minister to those guys who are in some ways living a, a, a dream life but in some ways living a nightmare at the same time? You know, I'm sure this isn't true of everyone, but I've been surprised that you know, the, 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 the individuals that come from you know, broken homes or bad backgrounds has, it's not as obvious as you would think, like I made the point a couple years ago our team I was talking to Megan, and we had uh, you know four or five players who came from two parent homes and five or six who came from one parent homes but if you if you try if you didn't know and you tried to guess based on their day to day behavior, you would get them wrong you would yeah. and I think to me, you know the lesson I take from it, and you may say this is a pessimistic way to look at it, the lesson I take from it is not that. Oh, these guys who come from these bad backgrounds have overcome it you know and and are living these you know great lives but it's more even the guys who come from these great backgrounds can act like you know jerks sometimes so um, you know it's not as big a factor as you would think you know you you can't really tell when you're around them every day. The Lord's Prayer do y'all still before a game or after the game uh, at Alabama you say the Lord's Prayer? Mm -hmm. You know, we've had a coaching change, so I don't know how we're going to do things moving forward. But, yeah, we always uh, pray as a team, Lord's Prayer, uh, after the game. And uh, pray as a staff, just the coaching staff before the game. That was always our tradition before. Um,
0: How do you – so you guys were talking about failure earlier. Mm -hmm. And most of your students, your student-athletes, you know, maybe two of them will go to the draft every year. So how do you deal with that? both spiritually and professionally for these guys who their entire life they thought they were going to go to the NBA and yep. most of them won't? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. That That's a huge area in which we have an opportunity to minister to these kids because, you know, you, if you have 12 guys on your team, probably eight or nine of them at least came in thinking, I'm going to go to the NBA one day. And, you know, Alabama hasn't had an NBA pick in, I don't know, seven, eight years probably. So... Now, some of them ended up getting to the NBA, maybe one a year does. So that leaves, let's say, nine guys who come in thinking they're going to make it, and then by the end of their career, they realize, I'm not. And that slow realization of I'm not going to go make millions and play basketball for 15 more years, that that's a form of loss, right? That's a disappointment. That's probably a deeper form of loss than, oh, we lost the, the game to Auburn or to Florida. And that's a chance to minister, and that's where – you know, because a coach spends so much time with his players, that's the opportunity to to really talk to them about where's their identity located, and what really gives them value. Because if they've been thinking it's oh my ability to go play in the NBA, and that's taken away, that leaves a void, and so you can speak into that. Hmm.
0: well, I want to say thank you to to Colton and Megan uh, for uh, for coming and uh, and sharing with us this morning. It's a uh, It's been good, lots of stuff to think about, and uh, we got the ball
1: rolling. Thanks, Andrew. God bless you. Thank you guys very much.